This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We have finally arrived. It's the podcast you've been waiting for. Your Mets season preview with the Mets text chat. Uh, joining me right now, Adam Eaton, Fantasy Phil. We text all the time about the Mets, and here we are on the precipice of opening day. Adam Eaton, Phil, how you guys doing? Awesome. Oh, boys, what, what an offseason we've had. What an offseason we've well, had, and we finally made it. Let's clarify a couple of things. So we are recording this late Tuesday night. In this moment, Francisco Lindor has not agreed to an extension with the New York Mets. Obviously, that can change. I don't think any of us want to spend that much time on it based on how quickly things can change. So we'll spend 30 seconds each on it just to get it out of the way. Do you think it's important to get this thing done before opening day? Or do you kind of have this attitude of, you know what? He's here for a year. If he has a great year, Cohen will re-sign him. It ain't that big of a deal. Adam Eaton, start it off. Uh, I think they need to get him done. They need to get it done. Uh, I just quickly off of Pete Alonzo's comments today that he made earlier that saying pay him 400 million. So I think even though there's a deadline, if they don't get it done, it's just, it's going to be a cloud that lingers over them. Going to have to answer questions as much as he says, he's not going to talk about it with the New York media. He's going to have to talk about it. The team's going to have to talk about it and it's just going to become a distraction. Phil. Yeah. I'll double down on that. It's just like an overall bad look like sure. In a perfect world, we want it done. Um, if it doesn't get done, it's just, you know, Tough look. Well, you know, you know what? Wise, the, 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 the tough look part I actually disagree with because the Mets have made him an offer of 10 years, $325 million. And honestly, a week into the season, I can't imagine that the media is going to ask Francisco Lindor a question that's going to get the same answer over and over again, which is, yeah, there's no extension. I'm a free agent at the end of the year. To me, it's more the Mets have going into this upcoming offseason a year from now, a lot of key free agents. I mean, let's face it. Noah Syndergaard, Marcus Stroman, Michael Conforto, Francisco Lindor. And we can rank them however the hell you want. It's easier going into next year to have one of those guys already in the fold. So to me, it's not even about the way it looks. It's about it just puts you in a better position going into next offseason. And the person who's going to take heat if there's no extension is Lindor. You know, I've said this on the air. I think Lindor will get more of a backlash from Met fans if he struggles coming off of turning down 325 more so than if he accepted 325. Right, yeah, yeah, I agree. I definitely agree with that. I meant more so it'll be a tough look just on, like, it's, I, I wouldn't put any fault on the Mets. I mean, they're doing a ton to try to get it done. Um, it's just, you know, it'll leave a bad taste in everyone's mouth. And But from baseball-wise, if he were to not sign, he goes into the season, he's going to play the season. It's not like, he's holding out or something like that. He's going to play. Right. And if he hits free agency, I mean, I have a tough time seeing how he can get much more than that. All next right. Year you know what? Agency. You know what? I'm done with this. I don't want to talk anymore. About Francisco Lindor's. That's it. Yeah. We'll, we'll wait. We're going to know one way or the other in a, you know, a day right. or so. So well, 
we're done. Now, let, let's get to this because I thought Met fans had a very interesting debate over the last few weeks and months about this offseason. Was it a good offseason? Was it a great offseason? Was it a disappointing offseason based on the expectations of Steve Cohen? I like it. I can't say I love it because I still think there are some issues they didn't address specifically in the bullpen. But Adam Eaton, how would you grade this offseason? Uh, pretty similar to you. I think it was a good offseason. It was definitely a step in the right direction where they focused on, uh, you know, overall organizational depth. Obviously, the trade for Lindor was their big splash. I think we all were anticipating maybe one other bigger move to kind of go side by side with that, which we didn't get. But I'll focus on more, um, like I sent you guys earlier today. I think I really think that what they preached, I think, in Steve Cohen and Sandy Olson's first uh, press conferences is the – infrastructure changes they're making to the organization have to be in my eyes have to be you know included in this offseason as improvements of what they're doing to the team and i think uh sooner than later you're going to see uh the benefits of that of coming to that new age and i think it's going to be more attractive to free agents where now maybe next offseason we get that second free agent or that big free agent that for whatever reason we couldn't land like a bower this year you're not wrong when you talk about that other stuff that I think we're going to see more long term with, you know, investing more, whether it's in the pitching lab that they're going to create for next year or the infrastructure of the organization. It's just it's very difficult to judge that in one year. I mean, I know they're in better hands than the Wilpons. Like no one's going to ever argue that. I think or can they did they do enough to become a championship team? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think they, they did. I, I really I do, but I think that they we, we could go back and forth. If Springer was the right guy or whoever it was, I, I think we would have all been probably more comfortable, I guess, or giddy if they had that one other name because other names they added were solid major league players throughout the roster and the organization, but they weren't that sexy name. You know what's crazy? And I, I forget what you guys thought about the whole Springer thing versus Bauer versus anyone. I look at the Mets right now going into opening day. I think the lineup's a strength. I mean, I, I look at this lineup and say they're going to score plenty of runs. I think they've improved their defense significantly. So I think if they had added George Springer, yeah, the lineup would look even better. But it's already, to me, a strength. Like the Bauer thing is more significant because if they had signed Bauer, and I don't blame them for it. I mean, they offered the guy $40 million a year. They certainly came to play. And I don't think Trevor Bauer ever wanted anything to do with New York. And we could put the, the doucheness to the side in what this guy is. As a pitcher, that would have, I, I still believe this, would have made more of an impact on how we viewed this team going into opening day as compared to simply adding George Springer and taking a strength and making it even stronger. Yeah, I mean, the, the injury to Carrasco hurts, number one. So you feel a little bit – you feel that a little bit more now. But uh, I ultimately think that it's, you know, a popular uh, opinion now that wind up saying we dodged a bullet with Bauer given everything that he's coming with. But that's that's not part of the conversation. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to say that – to to say that you'd be disappointed with his offseason. You, you, got a, you got a superstar in the fold with Lindor. Whether or not you extend him, we'll, we'll see about that. And like you guys have mentioned, the depth has just been incredible now. It's like night and day seeing a guy like McCann behind the plate. You know, it's, it's you know, br- such a breath of fresh air to be able to see good defense come in and he's swinging the bat well. And Evan, like you mentioned, the offense is, you know, as everyone has always said, it it's, looks like it's going to be a strength. And 
guys like Alonzo and Dom Smith in the middle there, they had great springs. Conforto had a little bit of a quiet spring, but you know what you're pretty much going to get from him. And overall, I'm okay with how it went. And come July, if they're in contention, we know that they're going to do what's necessary to, you know, make a couple of moves to bring in some more, more guys here and and make a run. That's the thing about this off season. Like I get it. They didn't get Bauer. They didn't get Springer. They didn't get real Mudo, but we know what they offered. You know, we know how aggressive they were. And I think it's a sign that this is so different than anything we're used to. You know, it may not have been the off season. Maybe we fantasized about where they're just going to get everybody. They're going to sign this guy, that guy, this guy, but clearly, and you're even seeing it in the Lindor negotiations. This is an owner that's willing to spend. I mean, he was ready to give Trevor Bauer, say what you want about it, $40 million. Like we are coming from an ownership group that wouldn't have even, it wouldn't have even been a thought. It would have been laughed about. If so, if someone called up the fan and said, I got an idea, we should offer Trevor Bauer a three-year deal, opt out after one and two and pay him $40 million a year we would have laughed at him if the Wilpons owned the team. So I don't know, maybe I'm still drinking the high of Cohen buying the team, but I think you even saw it in the offseason, even though they didn't get all of these guys, just the different mentality that we can now have as a Met fan. Yeah, yeah I mean, what do you say? What do you say last night on that press conference? He, he said, I don't see going over the luxury tax by a couple million. If I'm going to go over it, basically it's going to be by a good amount. That's a great, it's a great attitude to have. Like, screw it. We're going over yeah. it. We're going to go. Yeah. It's like when I, when I go on vacation, I say to my wife, listen, if we're going to spend money, we may as well just go all the way with this crap. Like, what are we going to do? We're flying first class. We're flying first class. We're staying five-star hotels. That's, that's the way it is now. Yeah. If we're dropping money, man. Let's drop it all. All right. This is the geeky fun stuff. And I know that Luis Rojas showed us last year that he's going to change the lineup every day. I get that. Your ideal one through eight, no DH, right? It's not happening unless it occurs like 30 seconds before the season starts. One through eight, how would you line it up? Adam Eaton started off. Okay, I'm going, you know, I, I'm going to, you know, stick with it. I think we talked about this last time. Nimmo leading off. Uh, McNeil, I, I, I still think he's a, I'd bat him in two, getting on base, getting, you know, high average. Then I'd go Lindor. Alonzo, Smith, uh, Conforto, Smith, J.D., McCann. All right, I don't think I missed anybody. No, it's a terrible lineup, but it was a nice try. <laughs> Phil, go ahead. I'm actually just sitting here writing it down to make sure I got it in my head right. Um, <laughs> go ahead. So I'm going to lead off with – Yeah, I, I personally am a huge Nimmo advocate. Guys like that are just – good teams have guys like him on their team, and – you know, defense. We, we can't put his defense aside, unfortunately, but he's a productive offensive player. So I'm putting him up there, uh, leading off Lindor, Conforto, Alonzo, Dom Smith, James McCann, JD Davis, and I'm missing somebody. Jeff oh, McNeil. McNeil. Yeah, McNeil. So we're going to slide McNeil, uh, McNeil, McNeil in behind Dom Smith. I no, mean, no, 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 no. Oh, we're, Phil, sl- Phil, Phil. We're, we're sliding McNeil in behind <laughs> Dom Smith, James McCann, all right, JD Davis. All right. Listen, I, I thought you had it. Okay. Not that there's a right answer and a wrong answer, but I thought you had the lineup 
that I have been thinking about for weeks now. Okay. And I, and I get it. There are going to be guys not playing all the time. There's going to be always a tough lefty. I may do this differently. And, and all of this hinges on something you said, Ryan, and you were right last year, Adam Eaton. His real name is Ryan. That's why sometimes I'll slip and say Ryan, but you said it last year when we did a season preview in July for that weird 2020 season. And that was Nimmo should be the leadoff hitter. And my point was, let me hit Brandon Nimmo ninth. I don't want him getting more plate appearances than Jeff McNeil, than Pete Alonzo, than Michael Conforto. But what changed is Nimmo's production. I mean, if he is going to get on base, and I'll say it again, if he's going to get on base 40% of the time, he should be the leadoff hitter. If he's not, if he's going to be a high on base guy, but not that high and strike out a million times and hit 225, I would hit him ninth. I would use him as a double leadoff hitter. But for the sake of this, Brandon Nimmo has earned it. He has earned being the leadoff hitter. I'm in on Brandon Nimmo leading off. Frankie Lindor hits number two. Conforto bats third. Alonzo bats cleanup. Dom Smith hits fifth. And maybe I'm just a sucker for splitting up the lefties and the righties. I go J.D. Davis six, Jeff McNeil seven, James McCann eight. Pitcher batting ninth. So we're, me and Phil are almost on the same page. I got Ryan over there, Adam Eaton batting Jeff McNeil second. And what are we doing? I, I mean, I want my best hitter in the lineup is Lindor. I'm going to take Nimmo, the on base guy, and my next best average guy that, that is going to get on base, put the ball in play, hit a ton of doubles. So I get my best hitter, Frankie Lindor. I know he doesn't like being called Frankie, but Lindor up to drive in some runs. I don't care what Francisco Frankie Lindor likes being called, okay? Pet names as a fan is about what you like calling him. You know what I'm saying? So I'm kind of liking Frankie Lindor. I, that's just me. I'm starting to have fun with calling him Frankie. So if he doesn't like it, you know what? Sign for $325 million, then I'll call you Francisco. That's my, that's my take on that. Um, the pitching staff. We, we know how great Jake is. Uh, this is a big year for Marcus Stroman. I mean, I don't know where you guys' confidence level is with him. He has barely been a New York Met. I don't blame him for last year. I get it. Opting out with the COVID season, I got no issue with that. But even in 2019, after they acquired him, he was very mediocre. So I don't, I mean, it's a contract year, but so was last year. That was going to be a contract year. I got no idea what to expect from Marcus Stroman. Where are you with him, Phil? Um, I'll say, I mean, I'm not overly confident in him, but I'm confident that he's confident in himself. So that that's a positive. Um, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I think I think it's fair. To, yeah, he's had he's had a pretty good spring. Um, I think it's fair to you know take a three and a half or so ERA from him as long as he stays healthy, make thirty starts, and if you pitch to a three and a half ERA, I'll take that from him. Oh, I'd sign for, if you're giving me two hundred innings. Like you're the, the innings are very important because it means he's going out there every five days. <laughs> and he's going to give me close to 200 innings in a three-and-a-half ERA, I would absolutely sign for that right now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, I can't ask for much more from him from that because, like you said, he's he's playing for a contract. He's uber-confident in himself. And he for everything that he does and who, you know, who he might rub the wrong way, he puts in a lot of work and he works, you know, he does everything he can to take care of himself. And he just – he works really hard and he's determined to, like, be the best version of himself. So, I mean, I'm in for that. Yeah, I, I'll sign up for him. I'm, I think I'm probably maybe a little more confident or high on him than, than you guys are. But for some of the same reasons Phil mentioned, uh, 
oozing in confidence. I think he's in, you know, from what you see on Twitter and everything, he seems to be in a good headspace, which, uh, you know, as a pitcher and a professional athlete, I think that's, you know, a huge thing to make sure mentally you're, you're prepared and you're, you're ready to, you know, perform the best of your ability. And, and on top, I think um, he, yeah, I know he was only here for a short time, but coming back home, you know, getting thrown into somewhat of a, you know, a playoff chase uh, probably was a lot of uh, expectations and pressure on him after the trade deadline. I think maybe getting, you know, that year off sitting out, able to, you know, calm down, you know, get situated and, do whatever he did, the meditation or whatever stuff he was doing throughout that year. Um, I'm expecting a big year out of him. They need him. I mean, let, let's face it, with Noah Syndergaard out till June, with Carlos Carrasco probably out till June, you look at this rotation right now after Jake. Taiwan Walker was great last year down the stretch, but he still has to kind of prove himself as a major league pitcher. I think, I mean, you look at his track record, it's not that long. Uh, David Peterson was fine in a shortened season. And Joey Lucchese has shown promise, specifically when he pitched at home at Petco, and they're going to basically use him as a bulk guy situation anyway. They need Marcus Stroman. I mean, when you look at this rotation, I think these injuries to Carrasco, and obviously we knew about Noah, has just put more pressure on Stroman to be, I don't want to say an ace because they already have one, but a very, very good starter. And, you know, David Peterson's in this rotation, which I'm glad about because I got to be honest, man, when before Carrasco got hurt, I didn't think Peterson was going to make the team. I thought their plan was for Joey Lucchese to be, whether you want to call him the fifth starter or a guy used in an opener situation, it, essentially it's the same thing. I don't think it's that different, but I'm glad David Peterson gets a chance to build off of last year. But Taiwan Walker was a hell of a I'm glad they signed him, even though he's got a lot to prove. They needed another arm because what did we what were we going to watch? Jared Eikhoff makes starts every five days. Corey Oswalt makes starts like their depth is already being tested at this point. Oh, yeah. Big time. And like you said, Stroman has to be there. Taiwan Walker. um, I I actually have like some confidence in him. I think he's going to actually have a good year. Um, Like you said, he's, he's still young. He's got pretty good stuff. He's looked pretty good in the spring. He's another one. Just my my key is make all your starts. Not you know, twenty eight to thirty. He's starts. never done it though. Yeah, I mean exactly. that, that's yeah. the thing. Like like last year, and I know last year. What what could we judge? He made every start last year. It was only eleven starts, and he was really good with the Blue Jays. But you look before that when he was with Arizona and Seattle. I don't think the guy's ever made thirty starts in a season. So it would be something new for him if he's able to go out and do that. Well, that's why getting all this depth ahead of time, uh, um, ahead of the season, was was pretty key with Lucchese and Jordan Yamamoto. We're gonna see these, we're gonna see these guys inevitably, and uh, that was obviously before Carrasco went down. But now we're gonna see these guys a little bit more. But so if you can get Walker in there for like twenty five starts or so, I'd sign for that right now. He's another guy pitched to a three and a half ERA or so, and I'll be happy. Do you like? And I guess this is more of a philosophical debate too. They're going to use Joey Lucchese to pitch the bulk of a game. Like, I think it's obvious with the way Luis Rojas has talked that their plan is going to be probably Jacob Barnes to pitch an inning. And that may change. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that evolves in a different right-handed pitcher starting games, opening games, and then Lucchese coming in to try to get you second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and then probably the rest of your bullpen. Do you like that? Because we are going to see that all year this year, I think, with Joey Lucchese. Uh, I guess I'll start. I, I personally hate that whole opener. 
philosophy and why theory and i i i just starters they have a pre they have a routine that they're they've been doing their whole life they they go through it they they get ready to pitch uh you got to let them do it uh, it throws it throws everything it throws everything off you know now he's coming out instead of you know whatever his pregame routine is now like when does he start that like it's a timing thing pitchers normally walk out to the bullpen 40 minutes before first pitch and they do all this now he's coming in the second inning third inning like when does he start the whole routine like i guess the Mets have never really done it, so I haven't watched it too too much, you know, firsthand. But uh, for me, just looking at them, I I just think it throws everything off. Unless you have experienced guys that are used to doing that, I guess. I'll keep my answer simple. My brain is too small to understand the you know the logic behind it. But if it works, I'll love it. If it well, doesn't work, I'll hate it. Look, I, I don't want to be. Because no one thinks I love the opener, all right? I don't love the opener, but I understand it. And I understand it in the case of Joey Lucchese. So I'm going to try to sell it. And then you guys can say, shut the hell up. Or you can say, all right, you know, maybe it makes some sense. So I get your point, Ryan, about, you know, is he going to be in his rhythm? What does he do? How does that change his preparation for a start? You got to take, I guess, a leap of faith that he's going to realize that approach is going to be different. He doesn't know specifically what time he's throwing his first pitch. And by the way, when you're pitching on the road, you don't know that either. You could have a, you know, a 45 minute top of the first inning. You may get an at bat before you ever pitch. So, you know, there are scenarios that will throw things off rain delays and whatnot, but here's the deal with Joey Lucas. And I think the numbers are overwhelming when he faces guys the first time around, he holds hitters to a batting average of 233 and an OPS of 690. Okay, pretty good. The second time around, same exact batting average, 233, pretty much the same OPS, 694. When he faces guys a third time around, that batting average jumps up, I'm not joking, to 312. That is 80 points higher, almost 90 points higher. The OPS goes from 694 to 943. He becomes Mel Rojas when he's facing guys third time around. Now, hear me out. We've established these numbers. This is over the course of his career. This is a massive sample size. This is not a few starts. Whole career. They're thinking, look, I get Jacob Barnes to start a game. I feel good. I'm only asking for three outs. He's going to face the top of the order. Maybe he faces four hitters, five hitters. We'll see. And so I begin Lucchese's start against the sixth hitter in a lineup, the fifth hitter of a lineup. So when I get to the third time around the order, not only is it later in the game, but now I'm not facing the best hitters. We just talked about it with how we reconstruct the Mets lineup. Our best hitters are hitting one, two, three. Well, guess what? You're not facing that guy third time around at first. You're facing the fifth place hitter or the sixth place hitter. Now, does that make it any more appealing? I mean, yeah, sure. If you can if you can script it out like that every time, sign me up. But you know, it's like you said. If you have that forty five minute first inning where Jacob Barnes is, you know, walking the ballpark, knocking two three runs come in, and then you got to bring in Lucchese. You know, let's say you got to bring him in mid first inning, or he starts a second, and then he's all thrown off. Now, next thing you know, you're down seven nothing. Like, what happened? Yeah. So here, here's my comeback to your whole uh, your pitch sales pitch. There is, mm-hmm. I'd rather Lucchese keeping his routine 
And if that means he only throws four or five innings, and that's when the third time comes around, then you go to the bullpen. I don't know. Because like Phil just touched on, there's no guarantee by doing the opener that when Casey comes in and he gets the third time around the lineup that it's going to be against six, seven, eight. It might be versus those same hitters you're trying to avoid. So then what do you do? Now you're ready to use another bullpen arm, and now he's still facing the guys the third well, time. Look, you're you are painting a doomsday scenario, which is whoever you're using to open the game can't get anybody out. And it, look, could it happen? Of course. I mean, if they were using Robert Kazoman as a starter again, the same thing would happen because he sucks. And I don't know why he's going to be on. I don't know why he's going to be on the major league roster. But fine, that's the plan as of right now. So yeah, I mean, when you when you look at it that way, sure. Jacob Barnes could come in. He could completely fail. Now you're using a second reliever in all likelihood to get you through that first inning. And now you're handing the baseball to Lucchese down five runs. I, I get it. There's a, there's a risk to it. I just think it's more of, I know I'm only going to get this guy at his most effectiveness two times around because you have to admit those numbers are overwhelming. And I've looked at those numbers for every other pitcher in the Met rotation. Cause that's a big deal. Now third time around, there isn't anything significant with anyone else like David Peterson, small sample size of last year was great third time around the order. In fact, he was as good third time around the order as he was second time around the order. First time around the order. Jake's awesome period. Taiwan Walker, same thing. Numbers don't go up. I think it's more when you see an obvious drop off the way it is with Lucchese that, okay, what do you do now? Your answer, Ryan is fine. I'll take him out in the fourth inning. Okay. I mean, now you're, you're kind of piecemealing the rest of the game. You know, you're going to look for 12 outs, potentially maybe more from your bullpen. So I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I don't think it's this horrible thing. Like if they were using the opener for Jacob DeGrom, I'd say, what the hell are we doing? But to use it for a guy who's clearly got issues third time around the order. Uh, look, as a traditional baseball fan, I'd rather guys just make starts, but I definitely understand the strategy. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I can't understand it. I would give it a chance to see how see how it works and go from there. Like I said, if it works, I love it. If it doesn't work, I'm gonna hate it. I convinced uh, Phil. He's a he's an easy I, mark, Ryan. I I still don't get how throwing a reliever first uh, benefits. You're gonna use that reliever at one point. Why not use them whenever you think the pitcher needs to come out? <laughs> All right. Like I, I just don't get it. Let, let's get to the broader issue with this team, and that's the rest of the bullpen. Because oh, it stinks. Pu, it stinks. <laughs> Wait a second. So that's that's your take on the Met bullpen right now? It stinks going into the start of the year. It literally took me just seeing their names on paper, and especially not having Lugo there to start the year. I was like, oh boy, this is brutal. You agree, Ryan? I, I wouldn't go brutal. Uh, I think you know, I think they're gonna be okay. I think they, they'll hold the fort down uh, to hopefully Lugo comes. And I'm sure there's going to be other acquisitions. And I'll just touch on you. said so why is Gazelman on the team? He's on the team because he has a, uh, he has options. And why – and this is just my personal feeling why that matters is they know guys are going to get cut. And they're going to have to go to alternate sites. And they're going to have to get build back up, whatever the case may be. They could see, hey, maybe we'll catch a Gazelman or whatever hot for a couple of weeks. Fiscaliano might come back. Hunter, Tommy Hunter just re-signed on a minor league deal. They might get Montgomery back. Now let these guys build back up, get some more work in now a week or two, three weeks into the season. Hey, we get some Gazelman down, call somebody up, sign a free agent, let them build up, sign them. If you don't do that and you kept the Tommy Hunter or Montgomery, 
that doesn't even first. That's fair. And then they risk losing him. No, so that's... Bellman, you could take that luxury and then send him down. No, that's, that's fair. This guy, the guy I want to see. This guy, you know, is the guy I want to see as soon as possible because he, in his few outings, he looked he looked pretty good. He was well, Drew, 97, 98. Drew Smith, too, if he could stay healthy. That's another guy I'd like to see. Yeah. I mean, look, well, I, I well, get it. I, this guy, you know, has a track record. Oh, no, absolutely. I, I think what's concerning is that we always say about bullpens, you never know year to year. You know, you never know. You even said it with Gazelman. Ah, maybe get him hot for a couple of weeks. I look at the vast majority, not the vast majority, but a chunk of this Met bullpen, and I say, I already know what they are. Like, is there any scenario where Jairus Familia puts together a great year out of the bullpen? The answer is no. Is there any uh, scenario with could, Dylan- I, The thing with him, the, the thing with Familia, he can at least accidentally, like, be nasty for a little bit. Okay. But, yeah, he'll have a couple of... He'll have a couple of appearances where he pitches well, but then he'll walk the ballpark and stink. I mean, it's not as if, look, Familia's not going to have a great year. You know, you could save the tape and make fun of me fun of me if I'm wrong. Dribble, dribble, dribble. But the odds are it's not going to happen. And Dellen Batanzas is topping out at 93 miles an hour. Is there any oh, he shot? So. Is there any shot that Dellen Batanzas is going to have a good year out of the bullpen? Any? Not, oh, not, not in my mind. He, uh, he has been brutal. He looks brutal. He, he just, he looks washed and done. Here's the key. The, the key to me is this. All right. Number one, let's start with the most obvious thing. Edwin Diaz needs to be great. Okay. He is the clear closer of this team. There's no debate with Seth Lugo on the shelf. No one's going to say, oh, no, it shouldn't be. It should be. That. No, no. Edwin Diaz, the closer. They need him to be locked down in the ninth inning, but that's obvious. I mean, that's the most obvious thing. Number two is they need, two guys after that to step up. And I think the two likeliest guys to do it are Miguel Castro and Trevor May. Castro's look very good in spring training. I actually like that move by Brody. One of the rare smart moves by Brody Van Wagenen and bringing him in. And as, uh, as you guys both probably know, since you follow the waiver wire very carefully on our fantasy league, my first pickup was Miguel Castro, baby, because I'm high on him to shut things down in the eighth inning. But they need him to be really good to save Phil what you described as this PU bullpen. I mean, May, I, I like May. Him and Diaz, I have confidence in. Castro looked great this spring. I can't deny it. But seeing him last year, I mean, he was wild. And he has, you know, what track record does he have? He's not sure he looks great this spring. I need to see it, though. I, I'm not ready to just, like, step in and say I, I'm confident in him. Yeah, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on board with that. I think the, the one thing I'm a little more uh, concerned about is I I don't think they have a lefty a lefty in the pen. That can, and in, the, in their division, you look at the Freemans, the Sotos, the Harpers, the who, whatever other lefties uh, are out there. They, need to, they don't have lefties that I, I'm confident in. So Aaron Loop. He's got to be the guy. Yeah. But is he going to be the guy? I don't know. He, he, now there you go. He wants to be an opener and sit back and have a beer. So, like, is he yeah, the guy you, you bring You bring in the, an eighth inning to get those big names out? I, I don't know. Aaron Loop, you so, know, he may want to be an opener. He is never going to be an opener because if you're going and using Joey Lucchese as your bulk guy, you're never going to use Aaron Loop. You're not going lefty and then lefty. Like, there's no point of that. So, Look, Aaron Lou may may want that. It ain't going to happen. Um, look, we live in a world, let's not forget, with the three-batter minimum. And so you need crossover guys. And to Justin Wilson's credit, he was fine with that last year. That's what they're going to need from Aaron Loop. And if you look at his numbers 
I think last year, I don't have him in front of me. I think he was good against lefties and righties. Like his success last year was against both guys. In fact, I think he may have been better against righties than he was lefties. So I think he needs to be that guy. And look, we say this every year when it comes to bullpens, you need guys to step up. And I think the guys that jump out at you are Castro, May, and Luke, because nobody in their right mind thinks Familia and Batances and Gazelman are going to be the guys to step up. It's not going to be them. And Seth Lugo needs to get healthy quick. Yeah, you know, here's the thing, man. And that's why when we talked about starters, I barely mentioned Syndergaard and Carrasco. I mentioned they're hurt. You hope they come back. When guys are hurt, I just can't think about them. Like, I almost assume, yeah, they're not going to come back. You know, I've even been doing that with the Nets at times, even though Kevin Durant's close to coming back. I look at the team with James Harden and Kyrie Irving, and I really do. I think about it all the time. Can I win a title? Can I win a title if Kevin Durant never walks through that door? And I know it's a different scenario. It's basketball. He's a superstar, and he's apparently on his way back. But I got to tell you, man, I don't know if you guys think this way. I'm like forgetting Seth Lugo's even on the team. It's almost like, let me know when he's healthy. Let me know when he's ready to pitch. And then, great, throw Seth Lugo in the mix, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No, you're right. Uh, they can absolutely compete without him. He, it would just be really great if he came back sooner rather than later. Now, I got a quick, uh, ju- just to jump back to the offense, because I forgot about this. Can you see Luis Guillermo becoming the everyday third baseman? Because during that 22 pitch at bat a couple of weeks ago, that thought was going through my head. I was thinking to myself, my God, wouldn't it be great to have a guy, and I know Guillerme in a short sample size last year was great, but we know how good he is defensively. He's clearly better than J.D. Davis defensively. And he can give you like a war of an at-bat, like a real battle. Can you see Luis Guillerme eventually becoming the guy who plays most of the time at third base? No. And that's, that's a no, not because of him, but I think if J.D. hits – because Lindor, this year, if Lindor's on the team, J.D. Davis' defense is not going to stand out as much because I think Lindor's going to take a lot of pressure over him. He covers a lot more range than Rosario ever could. Um, so I think it's going to be more straightforward, you know, balls at him, you know, a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right. Um, so if J.D. hits, I don't think it's, you know, there's that big of a need to go that route because I think J.D.'s just a much better hitter. And, uh, and more important to the lineup. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. No, and it has nothing to do with like you know, Luis Guillorme himself. He's he's played well last year. He's looked good this spring. Um, it's not even the fact that I'm overly sold on JD Davis. You know, we all loved him uh, a couple of years ago when he when he burst onto the scene, but he still has a lot to prove. And I think it's more so the fact that they envisioned Guillorme as that kind of Swiss Army knife that they can put second shortstop, third base, and who knows? He could probably even play a little bit of outfield if he had to. And uh, I think they like him better in that role as opposed to sticking him at third base every day. He's only 26, man. I'm just, I'm just saying, like... No, yeah, I, it's, it's possible. I just don't see it. You know like, you know what it immediate. is? I And I'm not, like, worried that they're going to DFA Luis Guillerme or anything like that. Ever since what Justin Turner became... I look at these bit guys who stick around for a few years and show you flashes who are relatively young. And I just wonder, and I say, my, you know, sometimes you don't know what's right in front of you, you know? And I, I think it, and it's more, it's more than the 22 pitch at bat, by the way, I know that's the thing that, because I happen to be watching that spring training game. I was focused on it. I thought it was cool as hell. And I'm a sucker for 
guys that can just give you a war of an at-bat. That's what I always loved about Justin Turner. Now, I never thought he was going to become a star. I never thought he was going to go to L.A. and be as good as he was. I just, it wouldn't surprise me. And it's not because of the defense, to, to Ryan's point. Like, I get it. Lindor is going to make everybody better. It's, it wouldn't stun me if Luis Guillerme is hitting 315 in limited time and J.D. Davis is hitting 240, 250. Like, we don't know what J.D. Davis is either. You know, he had a great season in 2019, and, and last year is very difficult to judge. Totally get it. But what track record are we really looking at with J.D. Davis? We're looking at 2019. That's it. Yeah, uh, I like I said, it has nothing to do with Guillaume himself. I just don't see it as part of their plan right now to want him to do that. I would be thrilled if that scenario comes to life and he, you know, like you said, becomes a Turner-esque player. At some point, I'm all in for that. I just don't see them immediately jumping to like I have. I have a feeling it'll it'll take some time to get to that point. All right, here's the From- most I think the most interesting statistical question about the Mets in 2021. Pete Alonso, okay, he he puts together a historic rookie season. It's 53 home runs. Last year, look, he was hitting plenty of home runs. He had 16 home runs in the shortened season, but clearly you know, was not the same hitter he was the year before. He's had a great spring training. He's got a great attitude. He deleted social media. I want to hear from both of you. Average OPS range, home runs, RBIs, PD Lonzo, 2021. Adam Eaton, kick it off. All right. So what do you, what do you want to average? So, I mean, I, I don't think he's ever going to be a, a huge a- average guy. I'll, get, I'll give him 265. Uh, 265 i'm right by the way i am writing this down when we do our you know epilogue is that what it is epilogue post recap of the season i'm going to remind you of what you said in these predictions so i'm writing it down go ahead okay 65 i'm gonna give him 44 home runs okay and i know he's shooting for 130 but i'm gonna give him a little bit less because i think guys are gonna steal his rbi this year i'm gonna give him about 117 117 a year okay you don't even need to give me OPS. You give me those basic uh, uh, traditional numbers. That's fine. Phil, go ahead. I think the word you were looking for was eulogy. That's what you're going to be needing, like when you know I'm dead from when this team kills me, <laughs> probably. So, but uh, um, no, I'm super bullish on Alonzo this year. He's just, he has looked phenomenal this spring. The ball is exploding off of his bat. He hits the ball so hard, and he's looked fantastic. I'm going to say uh, 260 feels right about right. 260, 265, 270, somewhere in there, and I'm all for that. I'll, we're going to fall in that 35 to 45 home run range and his OPS, like I'm big. No, OPS no, 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 no. Love- Hold <laughs> on. Oh, Phil, 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 Phil. You just gave a range of 10 home runs. You uh, said so 35 to three. Give me, a number. give me a number. No, just tell me how many home runs he's going to Oh, an exact. You, you said ranges. All right. So I'm going to say 42 home runs. Okay. He's going to hit 268. 268. You're he's going dr- to right, go ahead. He's gonna drive. He's he's gonna drive in one twelve, and his OPS is gonna be eight seventy three. All right, fine. Okay, I'm gonna go. Uh, you know what I think is gonna happen? You guys think I'm nuts? I think I'm. You guys are gonna think I'm nuts. I think he's gonna have a good year, but I don't think he's hitting forty home runs. You know, I don't know what the dead in baseball is gonna do, but I could see. In fact, I'm going to go nuts. I'm going to give Pete Alonso a 275 batting average. I'm going to give him a higher average than either of you guys. I'm going to give him 34 home runs and 95 RBIs. 
That's what I'm doing for Pete Alonzo. We'll see who the closest is. I mean, all of us gave him a relatively good average compared to last year and compared to his rookie year. Because even in his rookie year, didn't he have like 250? It's not like he was hitting 300 that year. No, I think he was close to 270, but could be off. I don't think I he looked was 250. At, we're in the middle. He had 260 that year. 260 is rookie year with okay. 50, 53 home runs and 120 RBIs. I don't know, man. I saw this with Judge. I've seen it with Sanchez. It is very difficult, almost impossible, because neither guy has done it, to even come close to what you do in that full breakout year. Gary Sanchez has not approached what he did in that first torrid run he had in 16. And look what Aaron Judge did in 2017. The guy hasn't even played a full season since. So yeah. I think it's very, very difficult. I, ah. think, I think that's the difference. I think if Judge plays, he would put up similar numbers. But I agree. I think, Peter, I think Peter Alonso playing first base, not as the man in position as right field. You know, hope he's going to help him stay on the field. He just calm down with the stretching that he likes hey. to do over there. He's got the dad uh, bod, man. It, he's got the dad yeah, bod. He's good. I think if he plays, he's going to put numbers up. I hope so. That's Do you think, like, if you remember last year with Rojas, we're going to learn more about this manager because the 60-game season was tough to judge. He was a huge fan of the late-inning defensive replacement. He went to Andres Jimenez to replace Robbie Cano, and I forget what. He, he did something in the outfield. I think he went to uh, Mariznick late and moved Nimmo to left field. That's what he did. So here's my question, because I think this is fascinating. Fascinating to me. Late in a game, when he wants to improve his defense, does he just take Dom Smith out, or does he move Dom Smith to first base and take Alonzo out? Yeah, I, think I think it matters where you are in the lineup. I, I think that's, you know, it's not the best answer, but I think strategically, it, where you are in your lineup, what's the – that, you know, what's the score? Are you up one? Are you up two? Uh, I think all that's going to play play into it. Um, I think if Alonzo's due up, you know, I can take his bat out. But if he might have just hit, I think the play would be to, you know, move Nimmo over and, and slide. Uh, you know what, Ryan, Tom Ryan, you know what's, what's interesting about your point is when I constructed my lineup, as did Phil, we had Pete Alonzo and Dom Smith hitting back-to-back. I wonder... If now, if you're Luis Rojas, do you consider placing them further away from each other in the lineup because one of them is coming out of games late? Like that, I think that's obvious. I don't think there's any way Dom Smith is playing left field in the eighth inning of a one-run game where the Mets are up or a two-run game where they're up. There's no way. So it's really, okay, are you just taking Dom out because Kevin Pillar or Albert Elmore came in and you moved Nimmo to left? Or are you moving Dom the first where he's clearly better defensively than Pete Alonzo? So I wonder if that makes Rojas kind of look at his lineup construction differently because of that, you know? Yeah, it's possible. I think it'll just be very situational like Ryan touched on. I, my gut would say more often than not, you'll just see Dom come out and Pete stay in. But, you know, it's very situational. If Pete's like struggling, you probably you might see Dom go to first base and keep if his bat's hot keep it in the lineup and like you said situate uh, situating the lineup who's coming up who's pitching who's due up all that plays in all right what's a good season this year do they have to win the division do they have to make the playoffs do they have to win the pennant what's a good year this year phil they definitely have to make the playoffs i'll say that um what's their over under it was it like 90 91 91 yeah uh yeah I, i'm gonna say they have to get to that any they have they have to get that yes Anything less than that, I would think, would be a disappointment. 
Ryan? Yeah, I think it's make the playoffs. I think if they were in another division, I think if they weren't in the East or potentially the West, it would be, I think if they were in the Central, it would be uh, win the division. But I think they have a you know tough road for the division. So, but they definitely have to be a playoff team. And I'll take it one step further where you have DeGrom, you have to win a playoff series or game or whatever it's going to be. You know, uh, you got you got to advance one step at least in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of in the middle here. They have to be in the playoffs. It, there is no way this is considered a good year if they're not at least in some kind of postseason, including the wild card game. Look, if they're in the wild card game and they lose, it's a mass. It, it's a disappointment in a different way. Because it doesn't feel like you're really in the playoffs. You know, when you're in the wild card game, like the Mets were in 2016 or the Yankees were in 2015, and you lose, it doesn't really feel like the playoffs. Phil Phil will know something about this because that's where the Knicks are going. I mean, they're going to be <laughs> – they'll probably lose, and that ain't the real playoffs. And, and good for the NBA, they acknowledge that. They say it's not the real playoffs. Baseball likes to say, ooh, you want a wild card. No, that's, so, right. that's, a, that's a different conversation for a different podcast. But <laughs> the, 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 I'll, the Knicks are not going to be in that 8, 9, 10, 10 range. I'll say that. But anyway, yes, wild card, losing in a wild card game would be, you know, a big-time disappointment because I can already see it. It'll be Jake pitches eight innings, one run. They lose one nothing. And that's gonna that's how that's how that would go, and then we'd all be furious. Yeah, I, look, I don't know if they're gonna win the division. It's a very good division. I happen to think the Braves should be the favorites. I don't get why in some sports books the Mets are the favorites. I mean, I love my Mets. We all do. The Atlanta Braves have won how many divisions in a row? I mean, can can we mm-hmm. give them some respect? But yeah, I mean, I agree. Look, once you're in the playoffs, you start to think about bigger and better things like 2015. I'm still massively disappointed about what happened in the World Series. If you would have told me going into the year the Mets are in the World Series, I'd be ecstatic. But the bar changes once the season goes on. And that is, without being a dick, similar to what you're experiencing with the Knicks. Like if I would have told you at the beginning of the year, you're going to be in the 9-10 game. You would have said, great, what a great accomplishment. If I tell you that now, you'd say, get the hell away from me. That's not good enough. We're better than that. So the bar clearly changes as the season goes on, but they have to make the playoffs. Last year was a massive disappointment in the 60-game season. They were handing playoff tickets out to everybody, and the Mets couldn't make it. I mean, think about that. Everybody, The Marlins made the playoffs last year. What are we doing? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know that put it perfectly. It, the playoffs is an absolute must. Anything less disappointment. Indeed. Excellent job. Adam Eaton. His real name is Ryan fantasy. Phil, uh, thank you for joining us and thank you for listening to, to this edition of the Mets season preview. Evan Roberts podcast.